You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hey everyone, it's Shen Lazan with HalfStackMag.com. In today's episode of Half Stack Highlights, I talk with Ricardo Sebastian, a Chicago mover and shaker doing big things, who recently made his way to the West Coast. He's the youth board president for Chicagoland Habitat for Humanity and the founder and project manager at Luxury Management, a production and management company based here in Chicago. We talked about how Ricardo took a school project and turned it into a business. Luxury Management began as a student-run opportunity for student leaders to apply their education by planning high-end fundraising events with charitable beneficiaries. Today, Luxury Management has grown into a world-class organization, working with a slew of fashion, lifestyle, and charitable clients. Ricardo shares some beautiful insight on his career journey in Chicago, great bits of advice for young people following their dreams, and a bit on what's next for him. Keep listening for more. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. So, Ricardo, can you tell us more about you, your background, and how you've established yourself as an entrepreneur in your field? So, I was born and raised in Chicago, and my father was in the National Guard. He recently retired as Command Sergeant Major for the state of Illinois. So... When we were growing up, he would get transferred to different armories, and Mm -hmm. we would just move to different parts of the city all of the time. I think I went to, like, six or seven different schools by the time I hit seventh grade. And, um, you know, that really just showed me a lot of different parts of the city. It introduced me to a lot of different people. And I think that was really the foundation for me to be able to just kind of click with people right away because in that situation you have to move fast and you have to get to know people quick. As far as my career, it took a while to figure things out for myself and sometimes I still feel I'm, I'm figuring it out. I think it'll be a process, a creative process my whole life. But if there's ever been one thing that's consistent, it's trying to mainstream all of the different things happening in my life so that Mm -hmm. things can just be as easy as possible. And so I had switched majors a few times. I started in interior design, and -hmm. then it was fashion merchandising, and then it was photography. Mm -hmm. And I was just changing and changing and changing. And I was looking at the pattern, and it was like, okay, I think I have some natural creativity going on here, Mm -hmm. but I want to learn how to make money being creative, (laughs) and that was when I decided to go to business school, which was the best decision I've ever made, I think, educationally speaking. So I enrolled at Robert Morris University, and I went there because my sister went there. Also, my very first job was at Discovery Mm -hmm. Clothing Company, and I chose that company because that was where my sister worked. I kind of really looked up to her growing up, And, um, and so I started at Robert Morris, somewhere between sophomore year of high school and graduation, Mm -hmm. I became really competitive. You know, I I graduated early from high school, and I Mm -hmm. was very active in the theater department, and I was working at Discovery, and so I was always just doing lots of things at once, and the same Mm -hmm. was for college. So I wanted to become a resident advisor, and they said, well, 
to be an RA, you have to have a really great rapport with the students and with the faculty. So you need to get mm -hmm. involved. I became involved with our international business club. And I was just supposed to be a volunteer, but within like the first quarter, I became a project manager. And then before I knew it, I was running for president of the International Business Club, which wow. I later became. I ended up being offered a full-time position as the assistant to the dean for the school wow. of business. So it was just, again, like all these different moving parts were happening. And this was back when MySpace was the thing. And um, social media actually gave me my voice. I used to be very shy, very mm -hmm. timid. I never spoke my mind. I never stood up for myself. And social media gave me that platform to really, truly start expressing myself. And I just went for it. And I remember uh -huh. this guy reaching out to me, and he was like, I love, your, I love what you're saying. I love your mentality. Come work for me. I'm a nightclub promoter. Mm -hmm. And I was only 20 years old at the time. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, like, that's cool. So I started <laughs> doing nightlife promotions, not even mm -hmm. 21 years old. And I'm like, oh, well, I won't be there, but go. <laughs> Check it <laughs> under my name. Yes, yes. And, you know, it'll be a great time. And then, you know, maybe I'll see you there in a year. So all of these different parts were happening. I'm student president. I'm the assistant to the dean. I'm a nightclub promoter. I'm working at Bloomingdale's on the weekend, mm -hmm. and I just was like, what do I want to do? What does all of this mean? Why is all of this happening at once? And then I find out that our international business club has this whole competitive component to it that I had not mm -hmm. known about, um, so I wanted to get us in, and so we needed to start launching really intricate community outreach projects, and there were several different topics of education, like entrepreneurship, financial mm -hmm. literacy, business ethics, so on and so forth. So we started designing all these different programs around those topics. But, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do something that was a little bit less conventional. I mean, mm -hmm. Robert Morris is a very conservative school. Mm -hmm. and they're very business focused. And I was interested in art and fashion and music. Mm -hmm and parties and all these things. And so through my nightlife promotion, I was actually struggling. And mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was losing money basically because I was like yeah. buying people's drinks and like having them do all these things. I decided, okay, I'm going to launch a gay night or like an LGBT night at one of the clubs mm -hmm. that we're already working with. And It'll be like a subdivision of your promotions company. I'll run it. You'll collect 20% off the top. And that was like my first business proposal. Um, mm -hmm. And he loved it. He, he thought it was really cool. He liked the idea of expansion. He liked the idea of reaching a new demographic. And these are all the things that I'm learning in like business 101 in common. Yeah. Like this is still like freshman year college. And I'm just, like, going for it. For it, yeah, you're applying it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Just, like, making mistakes left and right and not really knowing what I'm talking about, but just, like, repeating what I read in the book. We did it. We decided to go for it. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to get all these queens from Halstead out of Boys Town into downtown on a Thursday night or, like, a <laughs> Sunday night? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know how to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do a fashion show. And yeah. so 
we start calling <laughs> and like, hey, like, I'm a college student and I want to borrow like $5,000 worth of merchandise <laughs> for a fashion show at a nightclub. And I have no credibility and I have no, like, there's no one to, like, back me on this. Um, and we just got no, 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 like, just nonstop. Yeah. And then yeah. finally, Akira was like, yes, we'll do yeah. it. So we cranked it out, and it was a huge bust. I mean, my budget was, like, $75. We were in a venue of what could hold, like, 400 people. Mm-hmm. We had 50 people there, including my mom, and it was just, it was so embarrassing. I mean, no one showed up, really, Mm -hmm. but what ended up happening was this guy who was the creative director of Bonnie and Clyde's Boutique, which was... I remember them. Yeah, they were really big in Wicker Park. I mean, and they they were truly, they were innovative. They were bringing art and fashion. Yeah, those were 2007, 2008. Yeah, exactly. Those were the years. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but he came up to me. I had emceed the event that night, and he was like, dude, I love your style as far as, like, the way you spoke to the audience. Mm-hmm. I liked what you were saying. I mean, little did he know that I was, like, four drinks in, and I was just, like, <laughs> winging yeah. it up there. So he brought me in, and he wanted me to meet the owner. And before I knew it, I'm now producing their runway shows, and I'm now their personal stylist for client development, like, you know, anyone who comes in and wants styling. And just like that, like overnight, I'm working with Jeffrey Sibelia, season two of Project Runway, Christian Suriano, season three of Project Runway, Christina Fan, you know, when she was just watching, Laura Miller, all these great brands, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere. And so I I needed to do something about it. And that is how luxury management was born. I came to my wow. school and I said, okay, I, I want to basically bring together the student body to produce events. They can be fashion shows. They can be cocktail parties. They can be whatever kind of social gathering it's going to be. And then all of the proceeds are going to go to charity. Now, this was not like, I was not reinventing, like, I mean, this was not groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. This was mm-hmm. charity work. So, yeah, that's how luxury management was born. My school did not love the idea. It was a dry really? campus. Yeah, I mean, I think for them, they could only see the social aspect of it as yeah. far as it's a fashion show or it's a cocktail party. They couldn't mm-hmm. really see what we were doing behind the scenes, mm-hmm. contract development, business development, contract negotiations sponsorship negotiation. I mean, there are so many yeah. different layers to fundraising and to events that I was learning in the process of developing this new community outreach project called Luxury yeah. Management. And um, I just decided to keep going for it. And it was not really advertised at my school because mm-hmm. we had, have, we have like, through the International Business Club, we had about eight other community outreach projects that were happening at the same time. I mean, we were partnered with Junior Achievement of Chicago, and I was running a program that was basically cycling every 10 weeks where our COM 222 students, Mm -hmm. um, like there were several different classes of that course happening every quarter, 
and yeah. he would take over an entire public school for a whole day teaching pre-K through eighth grade on all of those topics that I had mentioned earlier. Wow. Um, and that project actually was really successful. We got up to the third highest impact in the city of Chicago. That's um, amazing. So those other projects that my school could understand, those really took the forefront. And those were the, yeah. those were the front runners. And those were the ones that they wanted to invest into. Um, yeah. So a lot of the foundation, though, of what I was learning in college, I was applying it right away to luxury management. And, yeah. it, you know, sometimes I look at it and I feel like it's a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing that I had a safe place where mm-hmm. I could learn and apply and develop. But yeah. then there are other instances where, like, almost 10 years later, there are some people that I think industry-wise, they look at me and they still see that young college student. Yeah. And they really kind of have, like, that same perspective of the company. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the company then, yep. can you explain to us a little bit more about what your company offers its clients and like the type of services that you specialize in? You touched on a lot of different points, but like okay. what is what is Lux management? Like what are you guys known for in the industry? I mean, I would say generally speaking, people would say we're known Luxury management is an event production company, Mm -hmm. but that is because it's what's mostly advertised. We do a lot of project management, and that is usually very client-focused. And when it's client-focused, we don't put our name on it because it's about the client. And anything that is related to that project will always be focused on the client. What do I want people to know luxury management for? I honestly, I, I still have not been able to answer that question in like one one statement. But yeah. when it, I just want people to feel good when they think about my company. I want them to have happy memories, or I want them to have heard from their friends and their family about the positive experiences that they had, whether they were a client, an attendee, a beneficiary, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But as far as the services that we offer. When I first launched, I mean, oh my gosh, it was everything under the sun. <laughs> yes. Production, graphic design, public relations, cinematography, photography. I mean, it was all these things, all these things. And then in 2012, I had this great consultation with someone, and they were like, mm-hmm. "You're spreading yourself so thin that you're not, you're no longer delivering quality because you're trying mm-hmm. to do it all. Mm-hmm. Pick one." Be the best at that. Yeah. Grow from there, and then expand. So that was when we decided we revamped our entire media kit, and we just focused on event production. And then for like a year and a half, that was all that we would take on. It was only mm-hmm. events, and we really, really excelled very quickly. And then after that, we decided to add on project management. So right now, those are the two primary services, but I always approach it in, like, that very kind of, like, stereotypical Chicago, like, I know a guy kind of thing. (laughs) So it's like... (laughs) can make it work. Yeah, like, come through luxury management. We have someone in our network that we can contract on a freelance, you know, base, and they'll do the work through luxury management. 
because everyone's always looking for an in. Everyone's always looking for an introduction. And I like helping people. I like connecting people. I like leveraging others and their talent. So why not have a strong network of people that you can plug in for these different projects when you need? I love that. And I feel like sometimes in our industry, not enough people are like that rather than want to grow and pull other people in and whip you into that success and see success from that larger picture. Too many people get so, it's like, I don't know, like tunnel vision, like, oh, no, this is, these are like my secrets. This is my network. These are like my trade secrets. And you're like, really? (laughs) Well, actually, I have two statements about that. Growing up in this industry, I felt like it was really quickie. And then when I had my own network, what I realized was that people are not 100% quickie as they are protective of their network. Because it's like those people, when in the world of entrepreneurs, you have a strong knit group. Like, that's your family. Those are the people you love and you trust, and you're going to protect them from the world, essentially. But at the same time, Everyone also, I feel, gets preoccupied by wanting their 15 minutes. Yeah. And because they want that so badly, they're like, I'm going to do it on my own, and I'm going to make it. And it's like, that's not what life is about. It's not about when you finish or when you cross the finish line. It's about all of the people who are crossing that finish line with you. And I I always, like, tell people, like, oh, like, don't talk about, like, being jealous of someone else's work. Like, figure out how you can support their work. Figure out yes. how you can become a part of it. And they will leverage you. They will be a part of what you want to achieve as well. Yeah. And, like, and I think that's refreshing. I think that's so refreshing and so important. And that adds oh, all the more to your success. Yeah, I think it's, it's community is so important in a world where, it can become very lonely if you're just focused on your goals, your aspirations, what you want to achieve. But at the same time, quality speaks, and you have to know when to say no, and you have to know when it's okay to partner with someone. I can't sign up to be a partner to every single project that comes my way. But I think, you know, if you have some insight, share it with people and allow them to grow and become better. Yeah. Why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? I feel like either people, like, they have it in their head, like, I, either they had, like, an experience in the work world, and then they're like, okay, I can do this better, or I don't want to deal with that, or people fall into it, or, you know, you you actively choose that, that hard route. It's not easy running your own business. So why did you choose to become an entrepreneur? And are there any you know, any pitfalls or benefits that you faced in that choice? It kind of happened on accident. When I was working at the university, I really, I was there, I worked there for six years, and that was the longest running job I had ever had. Mm -hmm. And during that time, luxury management was a passion project, even after I graduated, like that first year after graduation, it was just something I did on the side. On the side, yeah. My charity work and to just like keep myself entertained. And I really had a plan to go career with the university. I mean, I wanted to be there for the rest of my professional life. Mm -hmm. And the recession happened. Lots of people got laid off. Like, I was one of hundreds of people who got laid off 
and I was on the fourth round of layoffs that year. So I was left with, like, what am I going to do? I've been doing this job for so long, but I don't know. I think everything happens for a reason, and I know that's Mm -hmm. super cliche, but it's so true. It's, like, one of the truest reasons of life. I got laid off, and at the same time, someone had approached me and was like, hey, I heard that you used to produce fashion shows because it had been, like, two years since Mm -hmm. my show, my last show. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I love doing it. It's so much fun. And they're like, well, I want you to do a show for me. And I was like, okay. You know, I just did it. And (laughs) there was something about that night that just, like, reignited my passion for what I had started luxury management for. And that was, like, the blatant obvious sign, like, maybe – getting laid off, like, because this is the direction you're supposed to go in. And I just ran for it. I ran so fast, and I just started signing on to do all these different projects. Um, But it is challenging, and not every single person is cut out to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm cut out to be an entrepreneur because (laughs) there are areas in business that I'm horrible at, like accounting Mm -hmm. or, like, creating contracts. Like, those are weak points of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm strong in marketing, I'm strong in sales, I'm strong in development, um, but I love it. I love being able to just kind of learn. It's You're always learning as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You're always meeting new people. It's exciting to feed off the energy of someone else when they're like, when you're helping them achieve a goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, the downfall, of course, is, unstable income, you know, uncertain future, especially like yeah. the first few years. I mean, you have no yep. idea if it's going to work or not. Yeah. If you're willing to make the sacrifices, like even last night, I was eating ramen noodles <laughs> in my new apartment, and it's like, do I love ramen noodles? No, but I'd rather spend $2 on ramen noodles and have a little bit more money to invest into what I'm trying to achieve professionally. So yep. if you're not willing to make some of those sacrifices, then it's definitely not for you. I think Absolutely. also you have to understand it's not 100% about the lifestyle. People get really caught up in the glitz and yes. glamour and, yes. oh, like I have my picture in the social pages of Michigan Avenue or CS or whichever mm-hmm. magazine, and I mm-hmm. love those magazines. Oh, my God. Like I, I will never forget the first moment I picked up a Chicago social like, that was a defining moment in my life. Mm-hmm. One of my first major events was with Michigan Avenue. They've helped me achieve so many goals. But being in a magazine can't be why you're doing what you're doing. There has yeah. to be a bigger purpose behind it. Absolutely. And and I think another thing to note, too, is that it's not overnight. Like, people – I feel like with social media and the Internet – people see the the success and they automatically link it to instant success. And the reality is, like, people don't talk about those five years prior, you know, busting no. your ass to get things done. They just see it for that moment. And I think oh, that's yeah. so important for young people to get or anyone who's trying to become a business owner. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. You have to toil day in and day out. And it can be years before something truly not necessarily groundbreaking, but that really makes a difference in your business to happen. It can take a long time. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I started developing luxury management in, like, 2007, and I didn't start getting reputable, like, recognition until, like, 2012, 2013, and it's gotten better every year, but those first few years, oh, my gosh, I was just so, like, blindly just trying to do everything, and, but I I persevered. I stuck it out, and I think a lot of that, the dedication that I had to making this work, it came from the support and the people that are in my life. Yeah. You can't really achieve anything unless the people around you believe in what you're doing. And, you know, you can really see who's there for you and who's not in the good times and the bad. Like, if your friends are all about you when you can get them on the guest list and they can get their pictures in the magazines or you can yeah. get them gift bags and all those things, but then they're not there for you when the project failed or, yeah. you know, you lost a client. You have to be really, really conscious of who is in your network, who is in your life, and how those people are really helping you because you're helping them, and it's a give and take. Yeah, so speaking of that, are there any profound moments or projects that you're most proud of or along with any key people that have helped you as you've gone after those things or who have influenced you or really kept you going? As far as projects that I'm most proud of, Anything affiliated with Julius LaCour is so close to my heart. Our very first fashion show together was in a nightclub in Boys Town. The next show that we did together was at the Drake Hotel. The next show that we did together was at the Murphy Auditorium. Then we were in Millennium Park for Chicago Fashion Week. Then we were debuting in New York. I mean, we have worked so hard together. And Julius is like a brother to me. I mean, I'm just so proud of him for, you know, he's an entrepreneur as well, and he stuck yeah. it out. There have been times where I'll call him or he'll call me, and it's like, why are we doing this? I'm over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to give up. Like, no, you have hard. to keep going. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, no, you cannot. Like, I've invested years <laughs> into this. You're not giving up. And yeah. it's the other way around. He's like, who else is going to do my shows? You can't give up. Like, we need each other. We love each other. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, another project is going to be, I'm going to say, Steve Grand, who mm-hmm. is, like one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my whole life. I mean, just a genuine person. And he brought me on as a wardrobe stylist for the All-American Boy video. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of evolved into a project management role with making sure the cast and the crew were on point with the schedule and doing wardrobe changes for like 25 plus people. And there were so many different ins and outs of that video. And I just knew that, that song would have social impact for the LGBT community. Yeah. But I didn't know that a couple years later it would be at over 4 million views and that he would be a global sensation within our community. And also, I mean, not necessarily every single person knows him, but Mm -hmm. it's one of the few projects where I can say reached a global global people, like just around the world. Yeah. So I love those two. Right now I'm living in California, and I'm working with a new designer. She does stainless steel houseware pieces, and it's not through luxury management. I signed Mm -hmm. on because I really love what she does design-wise. I met with her, and she's a fantastic person. And she's getting ready for the next level of her business, and I just feel like 
I need to be a part of this. And and there have been times in my career where it was like, okay, I'm going to take a little step back from what I'm doing exclusively with luxury management, and I'm going to jump yeah. onto this project because I want to again. It just comes back to learning, to growing, to exposing yourself to new things. Because without all of that, you can't really get better at what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. If I was only doing nightclub promotions and that was it, and I was only working with the same nightclubs, I would not be here where yeah. I am today. Yeah. So it's so important to diversify and just switch it up and try something new. Even if you have no idea how to do it, just do it. If the opportunity yeah. is there, learn. You never yep. know what you can gain out of that experience. And people are so – yes, thank you. And people are so yeah. scared of that uncertainty. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to succeed. You don't have Figure to it out on the way. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. You don't have to succeed at everything. You just have to try. Yeah, and learn from those failures, too. I mean, that's the other thing. People are so afraid of of, oh of messing up so or of failing. Up. Yeah, and it's just a matter of take those failures as learning opportunities, and you'll grow from them, and you'll know what to do next time. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was when Tim Burton was remaking Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. and... I was like, I'm going to do an Alice in Wonderland themed fashion show because I'm innovative and this is going to be groundbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I don't know how I convinced Michigan Avenue magazine to, to back me on this, but they, they wanted to. And I got five different boutiques to sign up. It was a five segment runway show. We were doing a benefit for the Emmerman Angels. It just, it flopped, it flopped so hard. Because the night of the show, I realized that I didn't put a strategy in place for ticket sales. I had done all the promotion. I had done all the logistics. I got all the sponsors, and I got the venue donated, and I got a liquor sponsor. I had a media sponsor and all these things. But I didn't have one single strategy in place for ticket sales. And we sold, like, 45 tickets. And that event put me in so much debt because I had professional models. I had a hair and makeup team. Yeah. I had to pay for advertising in the magazine. I mean, it really set me back for like a year. But what did that teach me? Have a strategy for sales. Like don't yep. just rely on social media. Don't just yes. think that your team is out there as passionate as you are nope. pushing the event and pushing the ticket sales. Because as the entrepreneur, no one on your team will ever be as passionate as you because you're trying to actualize your dreams. And yep. for most of the employees, it's their job and it's a stepping stone to, like, their next chapter. Exactly. So speaking of struggles and obstacles, other than, you know, the run-of-the-mill failures that you may have faced career-wise, have there been any other types of struggles or obstacles, you know, either as a business owner or even in your personal life that you've faced? And if so, how did you manage to overcome those? Personal struggles, I would say a lot of lost time with my family, (laughs) just working around the clock all the time. And the only resolution to that was making a very conscious choice that I was going to slow down and spend more time with my family. That was the only solution to that situation. It's like... It kind of it comes back to the idea of it's not when you finish. It's not when you get to the finish line. Yeah. Like, don't just abandon everyone for the pursuit of your dreams because then everyone's yeah. going to think you're an asshole. 
Yep. Um, so that was like a big personal thing for me, and it was a huge eye opener just like a few years ago. And I was just like, okay, I got to make some changes here. Um, yeah. Other professional struggles. Sometimes I feel haunted by my earlier work, you know, that student mm-hmm. work, because mm-hmm. I moved quickly and I got myself in front of a lot of important people. And sometimes I'm like, oh God, like, do they still think of that night? Or do they still think of like when I was a nightclub promoter? and all those things. Uh, other struggles, you know, not every business relationship is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've been threatened to be sued. I've been threatened to have my reputation ripped apart. And it's scary. It's really scary. It's scary when You're a fighter, though, Team Jakarta. Yeah, You're a fighter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was, like, possible. But I think... It's just you you grow and you overcome, and there is a lot of power in apologizing if you've made a mistake yeah. in business. I've made lots of mistakes in business, and when yeah. I was younger, my pride would not allow me to say, I made a mistake, and I'm sorry. But now, if I make a mistake, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It was totally haphazard. Here are the options for a solution. Yeah. Um, I've also gained power in being able to say, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question right now, but let me find out mm-hmm. for you. Always trying to, the whole, like, I just read this really fascinating article about how fake it till you make it is completely dead now because mm-hmm. the millennial generation can read and sense that bullshit, like, right off the bat. Yeah. And they don't yep. want anything to do with it, so it's like, just save yourself the time and just be honest with what you're able to do. And you're not going to necessarily lose the whole opportunity because you can't do one out of ten things. That one thing is your opportunity to learn and to become better than what you were when you started. If you could go back and tell an 18-year-old you one thing or give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be? Don't wear body glitter and stop filling your eyes. <laughs> but it's, there's some truth to that, you know, the the way that you put yourself together and yeah. I wish I would have had like that a more like refined look as I was developing in business, but if I could go back, it wasn't until I was like 26 that I got over this, so I wish I could go back to being 18 and, and tell myself yeah. this, yeah. but I would always like procrastinate on announcing what was about to happen, especially my fundraising events, because yeah. I'd be like, what if they don't like the invitation design? What if they don't like the way that I worded the copy of the description of the event? What if they mm-hmm. don't like the venue? What if they don't like me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Yeah. And then I'd wait until like two weeks before the event or the project, or whatever the case may be, and then I'd be, like, scrambling to just try and get as many people on board as possible. And what I realized is, like, as a creative person, or even a business person, I just don't know that it's possible to get something to 100%. Like, the way you envisioned it in your head, because the elements of the world will combat that, and you have to adjust. You have to make changes. And it's like, oh, I'm holding back because what if the next, what if another venue, like, decides to sign on at the last hour? What if yeah. this or what if that? 
and it's like, just go for it. And like yep. I said before, like, if it doesn't work out, then go back, review every single step of that production or that project or whatever it is that you're doing mm-hmm. and find where it didn't work and correct it. So if I could go back, that's something I would definitely tell myself. I think that's really good advice. It's so true. And that is, it's, it's not just the, you know, don't procrastinate. It's believe more in yourself and don't worry about getting the approval of everyone before you move forward because you can make it work as you go. And I think that's so important to understand. Yeah, I mean, being comparative is death. Like, you could literally spend hours, like, just going through your Facebook friends list and scrolling profile after profile and comparing and comparing and comparing. Yep. But it's like, why waste your time doing that when you can use that energy to focus on yep. making yourself the best that you can do? Absolutely. Stop competing with everyone else and compete with yourself to make yourself better. Yep. I love it. What kind of advice would you give other young people, you know, other millennials or younger people who are looking to turn their passion into a career that has meaning? As long as you're not competing with me, I completely support it. <laughs> Um, gosh, young entrepreneurs, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> like, I feel like everyone that I meet is an entrepreneur or they're about yeah. to become an entrepreneur, and I love it. And I think about, like, I mean, this is kind of nerdy, but when people first came to America and it was like they're building these colonies, like, yeah. I wonder if, like, that's what it was like, like the sense of everyone is doing something for themselves and it's about their passion, it's about what they love, and I think it's a really, really beautiful thing. Um, I think the advice, I mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but don't be so self-centered about it. Mm -hmm. Look at how you can build a community with other people who maybe have similar goals or have different goals, but what they're trying to do and what you're trying to do complement each other. I yeah. think if we can get more people to work together, the results would be more impactful, people would be way more impressed, and it would be way more inspiring. But when you're like the one-man show, it's like, okay, yeah. like, stop jerking off to yourself. I'm kind of over your story. But yeah. I think bringing people together, community, that is something I want to see more of with the next generation of millennials. So I'm at my last question. So where can we learn more about you and luxury management? Well, my Facebook profile is public, so anything that's going on in my professional life is being announced through my social media. Social media, our Instagram is L-U-X-M-G-T, which is the same for Twitter. Um, I'm definitely, you know, I'm taking this opportunity in California and I'm really going to be experimenting with things that we have not done at Luxury yeah. Management before. But in Chicago, we're still producing events. We've actually had a few already this year. We have a few more coming up. The summertime is going to be great. Everything in New York is focused on Julius LaCour and the development of his fashion label. Um, we're looking at expanding into a fourth market, which is Philadelphia, for this wow. season. So I'm really, really gearing towards national presence. I'm hoping to be global within the next two to three years. And 
I'm just taking every project as it comes my way and really looking at it and saying, okay, does this really nurture the overall goal of what we're trying to achieve at Luxury Management? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Half Stack Highlights. You can keep up with Ricardo and Luxury Management at LuxuryMGT.com and on social media with the handle L-U-X-M-G-T. While you're online, make sure to stop by HalfStackMag.com to check out the latest on our blog and follow us on social media at HalfStackMag. Thanks for listening.